You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today we have Kieran Flanagan, who's the VP of Marketing of HubSpot, which is a marketing and sales software company that, I mean, it's basically by now, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know what HubSpot is. We're a proud customer of HubSpot, and we've actually had a couple previous HubSpotters on the show as well, Mark Roberish and a couple of other people. But Kieran, it's really nice to have you here. Kieran and I first met at SaaStock about two years ago in Dublin. And he really knows his stuff when it comes to just growth in general and also building a really good growth team as well. We really enjoyed my time there. Hopefully see you there next, maybe this year, maybe not, maybe the year after. Yeah. But yeah, Karen, how's it going? It's great, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hopefully you can, we can all start traveling and you can make it back to Dublin. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, man. But yeah, <laughs> do you want to give us a little background on kind of what your story is just so people get a better idea? Yeah, so like a quick introduction to me is a failed software developer, wasn't smart enough to code, went into marketer, that's marketing, that's no reflection on marketers, they're smart as well. And then <laughs> did a bunch of gigs, agency, SaaS, and ended up in HubSpot. And really in HubSpot, I've done three things, which is kind of help to grow out our international business, help to grow out our freemium business, and then kind of take on all of the teams who generate our demand globally. Got it. That's awesome. And so you also, I mean, I forgot to, to add this part. I mean, you're the co-host of the Growth TLDR show. I'm assuming that's a podcast that's with Scott Tulsi or Tusley? Scott Tasley. Yeah. Yeah. Tasley. Tasley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. We started podcasting about a year and a half ago. Honestly, the reason I started was because I've stayed in Dublin. I haven't made the move to like San Fran or a tech hub yet. So it's harder for me to connect with people like I have sometimes where I go to a lot of events, I do a lot of a speaking, but I think podcast is a really nice way to have a reason to like sit down with someone and have a great conversation. And it's been one of the best things I've actually done. I've really met a lot of great people through it. Yeah. And the crazy thing too is, I mean, doing the podcast, like you being on this podcast, that helps a lot, right? Almost like guest posting. It's yeah, uh, exactly. Has that actually worked out well for you? It's worked pretty well. I honestly haven't really started to pay attention to trying to, it's weird for someone who just works day in, day out in growth. Mm -hmm. When I did the podcast, I was, I did it and I said to myself, I'm not going to put any kind of goals or metrics or anything around this because I just yeah. want to actually have something that I enjoy doing and not try to continually try to grow something. Right. So I hadn't even promoted it, but recently I've, I've started to take on more guest podcasts. And so I used to kind of say, I don't know if I'm suitable for this or I don't know if I'll do it, but I have started to do a lot more to see if it would drive up numbers and it does work. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the story I always share with people is this podcast, the first year after I was doing it, I was only getting nine downloads a day. And after the second year, I was only getting 30 downloads a day. So I probably should have given up, you know, if we're looking at growth. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I just continue to learn from people. And to me, that was like getting exactly. free education. So that's why I do it. And that's why I still do it. So HubSpot, I mean, can you give people a little background on kind of, you know, what the company is and where the company is today? Because it's been, you know, you've been there for seven years plus, right? Yeah, I joined when we were about 300 people. We sold marketing a tool to people, really helped them to do inbound marketing. They could blog, they could convert traffic into leads, they could do some marketing automation and convert that into customers. If you fast forward to today, we're a very different company. So in 2016, we launched a self-serve model and a freemium model. So you could try all of our tools and we could look at usage and get you to do things like product qualified leads and become customers. And we also added a bunch more products. So we're kind of a full suite growth platform. We have marketing, sales, customer success tools, and a CRM. So you can kind of build your entire front office through HubSpot. And That's awesome. A, we've a really, yeah, we've a, you probably know as a customer, we've a, a huge growing ecosystem mm -hmm. of 
partners and apps and things you can use as well to help you grow your business. Yeah, I think there's two things there, right? I mean, at the very end, you said, you know, you have this partner ecosystem. And that kind of reminds me of, you know, when Steve Jobs had a conversation with Mark Benioff from Salesforce, like you got to build like some type of ecosystem, right? Seems like that ecosystem play worked out well for you, correct? Yeah, it worked out really well. And I think we're just at the beginning of it. And the crazy thing about the Salesforce ecosystem, there's a it's online, it's public knowledge is, I think for every dollar they make through selling their products, they make another five or six dollars through the ecosystem. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah, so having that ecosystem can turn you from a great business into like a world class business. Got it. You know, recently when I was in Asia, probably summertime, I was speaking to your your APAC GM and he was talking about how when HubSpot was at this crossroads on, you know, continuing on or doing freemium, I think 99% of the company or so that they were against freemium. So it seems like you were part of the early team to grow out that freemium business. I mean, can you tell us about that story and, and tell me if I'm wrong as well? Yeah, so that was probably the most fun time I've had in my career. So the freemium was started partially because of the crew it was started by. It was started by some really smart people. What HubSpot did was they took some of their best people. So our chief product officer, Christopher O'Donnell, was part of that group. Brian Balfour, people know from Reforge.com, another guy called Michael Peachy. Incredibly, Mark Reverge is in that group, like incredibly smart people. Took a small group. They launched this product called Sidekick. And the cool thing about that was they kind of incubated it and those people had their own company within HubSpot, but it really wasn't part of the kind of HubSpot core company. So they were allowed to try to do their own thing, figure out this freemium motion and find out how it could work for the business and try to get the business some leverage through going to market in a different way. And so I joined just as they had learned a bunch of things through Sidekick and they wanted to take those learnings and then actually apply them to HubSpot's core products. And I joined to grow out the marketing and growth team I work with that group, and our first product was a CRM. Then we added free sales acceleration tools. Then we added free marketing, free sales, and free customer success tools. And our whole platform today, you can kind of start with free. And so we went through a lot of tricky times for multiple reasons. I can kind of go through them, like team sure. team structure, how we work together was one of them. And I can get into that if you want. Yeah. But that was like, I think if you want to have periods in your career, you need to put yourself into really difficult situations. And I thought that's when you level up the most. And if I go through some of my difficult situations and the things where I had to really level up, the two and a half years where we were growing out that freemium business is one of them. Got it. And so are you able to share any numbers around like, hey, like this was clearly the reason why we should bet the entire farm on freemium, anything like that? And maybe we should probably define what freemium is too, just for the people that haven't heard of it before. Yeah, so I actually will not share numbers because I get myself into trouble because we're a public company and I'm not sure what I can <laughs> I can share. But I can share with you that like, you know, 2016, zero people were starting their journey with HubSpot as a free user because we didn't have that. Today, the majority of people who become customers start their journey with HubSpot as, as a free user account to begin with. And so it's kind of transformed the way that people experience HubSpot and actually the path into becoming a customer and to define what freemium is. So for us, we basically have a free CRM. You can use variations of our products along with the CRM, marketing tools, sales tools, customer success tools. And for the most part, what we've kind of optimized towards is limits because you can kind of do different variations of how you do free. You can do limits, you can do gates, which you kind of just gate off a feature and you can't use that unless you're a premium user. And we have a mixture of those, but for the most part, we have limits, which means you can kind of use features to some point. And at a certain point, you'll be told that you need to kind of upgrade if you want to use that. So for example, we have an email template tool. You can send five email templates for free if you want to use more. 
you have to upgrade to a plan. You can use our call-in tool and you get a certain amount of minutes for free. If you want more, you have to upgrade to a plan. And that took us like a lot of iterations and a lot of testing to try to figure out what the best kind of upgrade paths were into our different paid tiers. Got it. And how long, I mean, so the Sidekick project, I mean, how long did that go for? And then I'm just looking at that timeline. It's like, okay, you know, maybe we did it for one or two years and then it's like, okay, let's roll it over to HubSpot. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, it was, I think, two years they were going Sidekick. And after two years, we wanted to kind of take those learnings in and leverage the HubSpot brand because the incredible thing that that little group did was started a company from scratch. They did not utilize the HubSpot brand. So HubSpot had a really a growing brand, a known brand, but they built Sidekick from scratch. And most people didn't know it was actually part of HubSpot, right? They didn't leverage HubSpot in any way. They kind of built their own site, built their own blog, built their own tool. And then when I, it, late 2015, 2016, when I joined, they wanted to take the things we had learned about free and PQLs and usage and retention and all of these different things that Brian Balfour and the team had learned and to kind of apply them to our own platform and how we can make our platform easy to use from the get-go, get people using it, get them getting value from the product and before they even have to pay us a single dollar. Got it. That's awesome. So do you think if you were, you know, working with like a B2B SaaS company today, do you think you would make a blanket statement to say, hey, I think everyone should do freemium? Or is it, what do you think? No, I don't think so. Like we're in the era of like product-led growth. And I think that's, we can probably get into, I don't think all product-led growth means freemium. Yeah. I think when you think about it, right. So freemium for the most part works as an acquisition lever. You tend to never get that much value or you don't tend to get any upside through the conversion rates although it can help but there is this thing with freemium that you can think wider a little bit broader about why it's a good concept for you to kind of adopt in some ways which is if you think about a lot of b2b companies and blake barklett who's a partner over there at open views talks a lot about this which is the fascinating thing about b2b companies today is a lot of b2b companies build for the end user right the user who actually experiences the product whereas prior to that B2B companies would build software for the CIO or the VP of sales or the person who actually signs off on the budget. And so the f- cool thing about freemium is you can get your end user using your product before they need to have budget sign off. They don't even really need to get, you know, sign off from people to actually use this product and experience this product. And then they're your best promoter within the company. And you see a lot of new wave of B2B companies who are growing through that model that are going to market through their end users and their end users are dragging them into that company. But for me, it doesn't mean it's applicable to every B2B company. It's really how does your buyer want to experience the tool and how are they going to buy the tool? I think in a lot of cases, there still may be cases where that B2B company is better having a trial or a demo or a different kind of conversion motion. Right. Got it. And you said you HubSpot launched freemium. What year was it again? 2016. Okay, so I'm I'm looking at your your stock price right here. So 2016, when you guys IPO'd, it was like 29 bucks, and then 2016 was about 50 bucks or so. So after this happens, the graph just keeps going up and to the right, and it's basically, I mean, right now it's it went from 33, 29 dollars or so, and then hit a high point of about let's call one, well, 207 dollars, right? So yeah, looks like freemium is doing well, or not? Maybe it's not just freemium, but it's more than that. But looks like that was yeah. a big thing. I think freemium was a good decision. I think CRM was a great decision. I think CRM has given us a great product that people can build their entire stack on. So it's no longer HubSpot being one product that is built on top of a stack. I think HubSpot, you can now build your entire stack on HubSpot. So I think CRM was a great decision. And then, yeah, it's the execution of many different parts. One of the big transitions that I've noticed in HubSpot is we've always been customer centric, but 
definitely over the last two years, really customers are at the heart of everything we've we do. And I think that's part of the reason you see that in our results and the kind of reports we give back to the street that we've been doing pretty well, which is why our stock price is going up. So yeah, it's the results of many things. I'll take full credit, but it's correlation of my work. <laughs> our price. <laughs> I love it. Cool. Well, I mean, market cap is $7.39 billion right now. So right now you manage over a team of 60 plus marketers globally. And so I just, you know, we, we talked about kind of team and pod structure. So can you kind of go into how you make the machine work right now? Yeah. So I think one of the big lessons, I'll go into two parts of this. So I think one of the big lessons for people who are thinking about adopting growth or adding a growth layer to their team or their company is, and you haven't had that before, it's really a different way to work across teams. So when we, prior to having growth, we really had a model where marketing would generate a certain amount of demand and sales would monetize that demand into customers. And so sales and marketing kind of own the go-to-market. And we went to growth. We also then had product because product were trying to get people to activate on the free tools and trying to get people to upgrade through touchless. And for us, that was a real kind of learning experience because we tried to apply ownership over metrics in a way that didn't really work. And so a good example was when I took on growth and we kind of applied like what should marketing own in the kind of lead model, we owned traffic, leads, MQLs. And then so in the content or the product model, I started to own traffic, user signups and PQLs and PQLs are product qualified leads. So people who take action in the product in a way that qualifies them for your paid products. And so they're taking meaningful actions with their, within their showing high intent. And the thing we discovered was like we made some really great progress on the PQL side of things, but there was always some friction because in that model, you need product to be able to build things in the user onboarding or be able to adapt the features. And we were kind of gold in different ways where I had a PQL number to hit. And at that time, product was still really focused on NPS. And so it was a really great lesson for us to make sure that when people had goals that they owned, that they had all of the resources and all of the capabilities and the full ownership of those goals to actually be successful. And I think that's helped us to better structure teams in a way where they could have that kind of ownership and accountability over metrics and they have the resources they need to be successful. And that's kind of how we set up today. We have teams across my group who are like, like functional teams that you would have in most companies. We have a, an amazing blogging team and an amazing search team and these different teams. But we have all of these different areas where there's just these pods around specific projects and metrics. And what we do is we just make sure there are the best people who are assigned to that pod for that job and do not stress that much about like functionally whether these report up to or these reported into product or marketing or wherever, it doesn't really matter as long as that group is successful and they have a sponsor that can help them remove roadblocks. And for me, one of the fascinating articles that I read recently was from the director of Coinbase. I kind of always talk about this article. It was last year he wrote it when Coinbase were really accelerating their growth. And he talked about the fact that they had to change their team structure every six months on the engineering side to go after their biggest opportunities for growth and realign around those. And he showed these kind of two comparables or two comparisons of how you can structure teams. And one of them is the tree structure by function, which is the hierarchy within functions that we kind of all look at. The marketing own this, product own this, and sales own this, and it's kind of top down. And when you look at what they did, they created this thing called work maps. And work maps is basically how work actually gets done. And it shows you the different groups who are within each projects and the different resources you need to get that project done. And for me, that is 
a pivotal and critical thing for companies who go to market through freemium or a product-led motion and that you're going to be skewing more towards a pod structure in a lot of cases than a kind of functional tree structure. Mm, Got it. And I'm Googling right now. So is this on first round capital? Is that the one? Yeah. Yep. Got it. So there's there's two things people can Google. So you can just Google... Coinbase work maps. And the first two results I think are probably legit because you got first round and you have Reforge, which we talked about, Brian, which actually was on this podcast too. So you're you're actually the third HubSpotter, I think, on this podcast. <laughs> but cool. yeah, I've added both of those to pocket. So when you talk about pod structure, I mean, can you give us an example of one of the pods that you have set up right now so people can kind of visualize it? So we have a pod structure. So one of the things we're doing is going to market or trying to acquire more into our freemium base through integrations. And so a pod structure for integration where we work with a company who we can integrate and then promote that integration through their ecosystem would be a marketer who kind of owns the marketing strategy in terms of how we can actually market that integration to their community, to our community. We have a PM who actually manages the engineers, the UX, the design to make sure that we're building functionality to within that product to do that integration. And then we have, we actually, that pod is a little bit bigger. There's a couple of marketers because some of the tactics we're using actually needs a lot of content. We need a lot of outreach in terms of the partnerships we're forming. So when we kind of step back and we think about, okay, here's the opportunity. Like there's these kind of three communities we can build integrations into, these partners we can work with. Who are the best place people or functionally who are the people we need on that pod to be successful? And we needed like three engineers who could build product. We needed a PM who could manage them. We needed a UX person to make sure that it fit with our product experience. We actually needed an analyst to be able to pull some data. We needed some marketers to be able to promote that thing to their community and to our community to make sure that they get value from that integration as well. And so there's a couple of those pods. Another one I'll tell you about is, which I'm really excited about is like one of the aha moments we had when we were at freemium was, hey, people really love to be able to get into these apps and use these tools. And the cool thing for us is we can kind of get real usage metrics to see what features they're using to be able to optimize our products based upon those usage metrics. And if you think about most content, like the way we deliver content, it's through PDFs and you get someone who goes to a page, downloads that content, you really get no more data and usage data around how they actually consume that content. Did they find it valuable or not? And so we started to actually build out a content app and it's through our academy where you can experience content, whether they're eBooks or courses in a way that's more valuable for you in a way that we get more usage data. So we can actually see which ones you're consuming and recommend you ones that would be applicable nice. to the thing you're trying to learn. And so that pod is a really cool pod. We have a PM, we have some engineers, we have some people who we call content professors who are kind of yeah. creating those assets within app. And then we have some marketers who promote those things. And so they're examples of like cross-functional pods. When you think about pods, it's like, oh, these are like these projects that you can join. Can you like selectively decide which pod you want to join? Or are you kind of assigned to it? Oh, okay. So what we would do is we would say, okay, there's an opportunity here, right? And there are people we would need to buy into that would be people from marketing, product, and engineering. And we would then try to figure out who are the best people across those teams to actually be part of that pod. Mm. And so for the yeah, for the most part, you're not getting told to be in that pod. We would, we would go and approach you and say, hey, there's this opportunity. This is the impact it could have. This is the cool thing about this role in this pod. And do you want to be part of that? So Got it. So they can say gen- yes or no. Gen- yeah, they can say yes or no. Okay. But generally, the pods are working on the cool stuff. So yeah. you people who don't want to do that. 
Got it. Okay, cool. So let's go rapid fire now. There's just so much more I want to talk about, but it's just like, God, I have this other podcast coming up too. But content and search playbook. So you and your team, you've doubled traffic across your blogs, 4 million to 8 million in under 16 months. Did those two go hand in hand, content and search playbook? Can you talk about it? Yeah, I think this is like all credit to the people who are on my teams for doing these things. I think what they're really great at is building playbooks. And I can give you three of the ones that I think have worked really well, yes. or they've, that they've done really well, which is... The first thing they do, and I talk, I advise a lot of startups and I advise them to do this because it does really help is everyone knows the kind of topic and cluster model. I think now like HubSpot has a lot of content on it. You guys probably have content on it. Everyone's kind of written about how you do topic and clusters. And so what we did was we actually re-engineered our blogs and our website to automatically build like within the actual CMS. We've customize it to actually build topic and clusters and engineered it to work the way we wanted to work. So they, they came up with the topic and clusters. They built it into the actual CMS itself and the way it works. The other cool thing they do is they build out a total addressable market for each topic cluster. So you can actually stack rank them, right? So you can actually build out fake kind of what we call editorial calendars for a topic cluster, which shows you all of the content you could create on that topic cluster and that you can plug it into a tool. And that tool will tell you what's the aggregate search volume available for all of the keywords that are in that search editorial report. So follow along. It's the build the topic clusters, build a total addressable market for each topic cluster. Then we build what we call the search editorial report, which I just kind of mentioned there. We have a course in that from the woman who actually created that in HubSpot called Asia Frost. And the search editorial report is a quarterly report we build for all of our bloggers. And that has all of the kind of content you can create for the topics and the keywords that are relevant to our audience. And so what in our blogs, if you think about most content strategies, there's really three circles in the way we think about it, which is there's a how-to circle, and that's kind of how you're teaching people to do things. And for the most part, that maps perfectly to Google because people are out there trying to search for how-to things on Google. There's a thought leadership bucket, which is how do you actually teach people about things that matter to them like and create emotional connection with them and create your tribe. And then there's what we call product point of view, and there's overlap between those different circles. It's easier to explain in a graphic. And yeah. so the search editorial report does the green circle. I'm going through Do the Do you guys graphic. have a blog post on this? We have mixtures of blog posts. We don't have the graphic. The Got graphic it. was actually, it was done for an internal memo. I'll actually, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get Carla who did, did the graphic to write, oh, to write a post on it. Yeah. But she, but it's three pronged. And so we, so we've kind of built at this blog editorial calendar that has a search component made up of this like search editorial process that drags in all of the keywords we create thought leadership which is building from engagement metrics in and then just your product point of view what how you want people to think about your products within the market and so that's worked really well and then the other thing we've kind of built is this ability to look at a blog post that are fallen in traffic so we call it the fallen stock index and the fallen traffic stock index and so we'll find blog posts that are fallen in traffic across our all of the content we've created and we'll re-optimize them like we'll figure out why they've dropped in traffic we'll give that guidance to the bloggers and they include those in the editorial calendar and they'll re-optimize them and that's worked really well so like the playbook that's kind of worked really well for us is the topic clusters the total addressable market for those the kind of three circle blog calendar, the how-to, the thought leadership, the product point of view, and then the historical optimization based upon where we find fallen traffic across our posts. Got it. I love it. So these are, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of these are kind of internal tools and processes that you have, and it's people can't just access it anywhere, right? 
Yeah, you can. So you can get the how to build your search editorial calendar within the academy. If you go and uh-huh. sign up for that, there's courses in there. Matthew Barbie has done a search course that incorporates actually a lot of this. We have some internal tools that actually help automate this for us, obviously. But you can definitely go get started if you sign up for the academy, sign up for the search course, the SEO course. But a lot of it is in that. We're pretty open with all of the things that we've learned. Got it. I love it. And then do you have any like blog posts or anything like that if people are interested in exploring the pod structure stuff? On the team structure? Yeah. I have decks, but I don't know where I put them. I don't know if they're online or not. That's um, fine. That's or, what I, I mean, people can just go to the Coinbase thing, right? Yeah, people can go to the Coinbase. I think if you go and search for my talk on the Turin Festival, uh-huh. which is a conference in Edinburgh, the talk I give there is all about pod structure. There's a Churn Festival? Churn? It's called Churin. T-U-R-I-N-G. <laughs> oh, tur- wait, wait, spell it again? Turin, Turin, Turin Festival. Oh, it's Turin Edinburgh, Festival. Scot- Scotland and Edinburgh. Got it. Okay. Right, Edinburgh, I'm going to try to find it and then, oh, I see it. Turing Fest, right? Turing got it, Fest. Got it, got it, yep. got, it, got, it got it. Yeah, it's, sorry, my, my American accent. No, so, it's, it's my, I think it's my more my Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's okay. All good. We figured it out. Cool. So, I mean, for you, you've been doing growth for a while, right? So how do you get better at growth? Podcast. That's honestly the best way I learn is talking to other people. I think as, as in you're you doing the podcast, right? You interviewing people. Yeah, like got like it. Me, so there's a couple of ways actually. Me interviewing people. My team teach me things all the time. Like most yeah. of the things I'm telling you, but are like I feel bad. I'm at that yeah. point when you start to manage a lot of people. It's weird. Yeah, you start to take. You go on the podcast and I talk about things at conferences. A lot of time I feel like I'm taking credit for my team's <laughs> hard work and their skills. And I am like, and I try to make sure I give them credit, but yeah. I learn from my team all the time. I'm lucky to have hired pretty well and I have a smart team. Got it. So there are the two main ways I learn is like my team teach me things through the work they do. And the podcast I get to, again, learn from incredibly smart people who yeah. are kind enough to come on the podcast. The thing is now, I think, I don't know if it's the same for you, but you know, growing up, learning marketing and just, you know, looking for the next strategy and the next tactic. I think now I'm at a point where I'm just like, what's the best like team stuff I can do? What's the best cultural stuff I can do? And it, yeah. I sense that you're kind of going in that direction too, right? Yeah, I love team structure. I love strategy playbooks and just trying to help create an environment where people feel they're empowered to do great work. All right. Yep. Rapid fire. Two more questions from my side. What is your favorite business book? I actually look, I don't have a favorite, but I can tell you the one that I'm excited to read next is Sprint Design. Okay. Because we start to use it in HubSpot. Wow. It's from a guy from Google. And there's a company called Miro.com, which is a really great white uh, company for collaboration. that has I just interviewed called. someone from Miro yesterday for a job. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Miro Design Sprint, company. right? Is that what it's called? Yep. Yep. Design Got Sprint. It. Okay. I'm going to add to cart. And then what is what your favorite business tool right now that's not HubSpot? I have to, I should be an affiliate, but I should just say Loom. <laughs> really? Say, yeah. Yeah. I, great. I love Loom. It's a great way for me to be able to give like explanations and context, especially because I'm remote. Mm-hmm. Well, not I'm remote in the sense that of the 60 plus marketers I manage, 55 are remote to me. So right. actually being able to get context through video is way better than email. Agreed. Cool. All right. Well, Kieran, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? You can get me at the weird Twitter handle at SearchBrat, or you can kind of check out the Growth TLDR podcast, or if you're looking for growth tools, check out HubSpot.com. All right, Kieran, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. 
You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.